from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gigillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig with details. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go papertarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I'm Diana. And I'm Eli. Thanks for joining us again. We're here with part two of Empress Alagabalus' story and her thirsty hunt for Rome's biggest dicks, slaughtering <laughs> anyone who gets in her way and also just slaughtering anyone for any reason at all. Yeah. That was kind of her thing, her whole M.O. She loved it. Uh, but how are you? What's happened in the last two days? Anything good? Uh, I mean, a lot of work. Right. Of course. It was cool to, to have our first two-parter. People yeah. seem to be excited for this next part, so that's I, cool. I'm very excited. We went and saw In the Heights. We did see In the Heights. We saw In the Heights. That was really fun. Yeah. Go see In the Heights. Uh, really one of the top movie musicals. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, very well. I mean, just very creatively filmed and beautiful to watch. So, If you're asking me, I would say that I can tell that he wrote it before Hamilton, because mm-hmm. um, I think Hamilton is a better musical overall, and I mean that in terms of, I think, the songs drive the plot a little bit more and the character arcs are a little stronger. Some of the some of the character arcs in, in the Heights are great, but like we talked about the main romance kind of lacked a little motivation at first. Like it was mostly yeah. conflict. Yeah. Anyway, it's still really, really good. I loved it. And the, the really the way that it's shot mm-hmm. and directed is above and beyond. I just thought it was gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. Really fun. For though. sure. Very cool, creative like scenes. The dance scenes were a lot of fun. Yeah. Totally. I thought some of the songs were kind of boring. That's a hot take. I'm going to get some musical theater hate. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm not great at mu- at liking musicals in the first place, so I have to I, I have to listen to it again. But some of the songs I were like I was like I forgot that immediately. <laughs> y'all may find that I have a much stronger musical theater background than Diana does. I grew up with it. Um, yeah. Diana did not. No. And that I think that really alters your perspective and what you're willing to appreciate and to tolerate. <laughs> in I mean, there are some I love. Of you course, know what I mean? I'm definitely like we watched Into the Woods the other day too. Yeah. And that was really fun. Yeah. I liked it a lot better than I thought I would. And I liked that movie better than the play. Oh, well, there you go. But um, That's good to know. And then, of course, we're watching Loki. Loki. God, I can't, I'm just, we're also big MCU fans oh here. <laughs> and. Oh, don't get me started. But you did. So the 
think, can I talk about, I tweeted about this, I don't know if everybody saw, but Owen Wilson in Loki is killing it. I mean, it's just above and beyond, Mm -hmm. uh, I think, what he could have done. I've heard Owen Wilson isn't a big comic books fan, so he was already like a hard get. So I think you can tell that this is a character they brought to him and they said, do you care about this? Like, if we bring you a character that you care about, will you play it? And he said, yes, I'm going to work on this. And he really has put the work in. I think he could have phoned this in. And he's awesome. I mean, in addition to them being really funny together, Mm -hmm. uh, he's given a real strong performance. I think he's just real showing a lot of range. I think the ways that he is interacting with different characters, like if he's talking to the judge or if he's talking to Loki, there is a subtlety in his performance that's just very different. And I think it's... I think it's awesome. Mm-hmm. I just that that episode it really stood out for me, and um, it's just so good. <laughs> They've all been so good. I, I I've been, I've enjoyed it. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of excited to see it ramp up. Sort of like Wandavision, where you were like, I'm on the, yeah. I'm on this ride. I'm yeah. I'm ready for this ride, but I'm not like obsessed with it yet. I feel like I need a, I need to know a little bit more about what's coming before I'll be like, yeah. oh shit, we're about to do this. Like, because yeah. <laughs> I don't feel a lot of anticipation yet. I guess. I like that. I thought I would. I get that. But it's also been a very busy couple of weeks, so it might well, just have been subsumed by other shit. But Falcon and Winter Soldier was like that too. I mean, yeah, it again, took a minute. It took a minute. These are not your average TV shows. These are these are six to eight hour movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they don't they don't mind making you wait a minute to fall in love yeah. with it because it builds like a movie does. They do. They are not beholden to the rules of a traditional hour long TV show in that each episode doesn't need to stand alone that each episode doesn't need its whole its own whole arc mm-hmm. uh and and to some degree they do because they're well written too but but they they're not really bound by that more traditional mm-hmm. format you know you you could watch just you know any old episode of most pre-2004 tv shows and i think even other shows even like Mad Men or lost or something you could still pop an episode in and be like i love this one Mm-hmm. But there's no one episode of Falcon Winter Soldier that I'd be like, I'll, I'm just going to watch that one. You know, mm-hmm. that, that'll that never happen. And I think the same is true for Loki. I think these shows are very much, you know, long movies broken into mm-hmm. weekly chunks. Yeah. But we could spend an hour mm-hmm. to get but it started. Speaking of gender fluid, powerful, godlike figures. Sure. <laughs> we've got the second part of Elagabalus. Yeah. You know what? We've wasted enough time here. So let's dive right in. Hey there, friends, come listen well. Eli and Diana got some stories to tell. There's no matchmaking or romantic tips. It's just about ridiculous relationships. A lover might be any type of person at all. An abstract concept or a concrete wall. But if there's a story worth a second glance, we'll put it in a show, Ridiculous Romance. A production of iHeartRadio. Previously on Ridiculous Romance. Listen up, soldiers. It's Julia Mesa, and I'm going to pay you to support Elagabalus. Oh, you know what, Elagabalus? I'm going to need a minute before I decide whether I support you or not. A time's up. Hey, I heard Elagabalus has opened up the baths to the public. Yeah, but you can't get in without an eight-incher. Elagabalus, I'm so upset that you murdered my husband to marry me. Well, joke's on you because I'm about to divorce you and go back to the Vestal Virgin because she ain't a virgin no more. (laughs) (laughs) Will Elagabalus ever find true love? Will anything stop her casual cruelty and rampant murder? Will she ever find the biggest dick in Rome? Find out now on Ridiculous Romance. So Aquilia Severa kind of falls off the historical record at this point. We don't know exactly what happened to her um, in the end of her life. (laughs) But um, it's assumed that she was just kind of hanging out in the background during all this upcoming stuff. (laughs) Yeah, we just don't know, unfortunately. Mostly because it seems that Elagabalus shifted her focus to a new man. This guy was a slave turned gladiator turned charioteer. Total hunk. Hi, Heracles! Give it up for this glorious gladiator. This beautiful blonde is a humble hunk of Herculean ham. Now, who will win this epic battle? This simple slave or these three starving lions? Well, I don't know, but I know it's the definition of a fair fight, Steve Heracles. Oh, man. Like many of our other characters, 
Very little is known about Hierocles, except that he was at some point enslaved as a gladiator, just like our favorite gladiator. <laughs> just like our favorite Spaniard, Australian, Roman gladiator with a British accent, Russell Crowe. <laughs> and just like him, he won his way up, working his way from spear-wielding gladiator to a full-fledged chariot racer. And here comes Hierocles! From Lion Bait to Chariot Racer, this guy has worked his way up from lowly slave to lowly charioteer. And here he comes around the bend. He is turning left. And here comes another left. Things getting exciting in the fourth lap now as the charioteers are all making a left. I'm on the edge of my seat, Pablomus. Me too, Davicus. It's thrilling. The NASCAR of its day. Truly. And people were bored, you know. <laughs> you had to watch something. Hierocles was initially a student and lover of his trainer Gordius. Cassius Dio writes that after making his way to Rome, one day this hunky blonde Hierocles fell out of his chariot right in front of the empress and his helmet fell off and she was just stricken with him and rushed him back to the palace. So what? I'm picturing like Brad Pitt, Legend yep. of the Fall, yep. hat with the water on it. She was like, hearts in her eyes. <laughs> and she said, yeah, coming with me to Rome <laughs> they, or to the palace. And they f rush back to the palace and they fall in love. And Elagabalus was obsessed with Hierocles. And Dio writes again about her desire to be caught in the act of adultery and punished for it. I mean, this is this has come back up. He writes, For she wished to have the reputation of committing adultery, so that in this respect, too, she might imitate the most lewd women. And she would often allow herself to be caught in the very act, in consequence of which she used to be violently upbraided by her husband and beaten, so that she had black eyes. He says that she loved him more for it, and even tried to make Hierocles the Caesar of Rome, which is outrageous. I mean, she's like, I'm going to take this charioteer from nowhere, and I'm going to marry him, and I'm going to be the empress, and he's going to be Caesar. So people are starting to lose their shit at this girl and the crazy, yeah, the, crazy things murders, she's doing. All the murder's fine, yeah. but don't put a slave in charge of this place. <laughs> I don't need no working class Caesar. Yep. She fought with Julia Mesa about it. This kind of started their headbutting, mm -hmm. and the military did not like this either. The Praetorian Guard was like the central part of the military that specifically was tasked with guarding the emperor or empress. And you need their support if you're in charge, because like we said, otherwise you might find yourself getting stabbed in the back. So the most important people to keep on your side is the Praetorian Guard. And Julia Mesa is noticing that they do not like this bit with Hierocles. Not, not at all. But even, even, even her love of Hierocles could not withstand... <laughs> She's thirsty, one, okay? One particular thing that she liked more than anything else. She is thirsty. She had this standing order, as we talked about earlier, for people to be on the lookout for gentlemen of a certain description. And this guy, Aurelius Zodicus, was chilling in Smyrna, not the one that we know, the ancient Roman one. Not Smyrna, Georgia, but... He was an athlete and the son of a cook. And according to Cassius Dio... He had a huge dick. Now just imagine your dick is so big that it's like a part of history now. <laughs> wow. And, and this is just a standing order across the empire. Everybody knows if you see a big dick, you better get word back to, El to Empress Elagabalus. And so they did. Her little birds got word back to her. Mm -hmm. Before you know it, Zodicus is whisked away to Rome. He arrives in a huge to-do bring a massive escort with him. Before he even sees Elagabalus, he's bestowed with a fancy title. He's got garlands. He's escorted into the palace. Elagabalus sees him and sprang up with rhythmic movements. And when Zodicus said, My Lord Emperor, hail, as was the standard greeting, Elagabalus, quote, bent her neck so as to assume a ravishing feminine pose and turned her eyes upon him with a melting gaze and answered without any hesitation, Call me not Lord, for I am a lady. And the two of them retired to the bath. She saw that he lived up to his reputation. She went all googly-eyed. Oh, wow. <laughs> melted into his chest and ate dinner while resting on his body. <laughs> Hot. Yeah. 
Boy, a good body and uh, somebody who's not going to challenge your authority. That's all she was looking for. That's all she needed. Now, Hierocles was a little jealous. They had fallen pretty deeply in love, but it wasn't really just that. He feared that somebody was going to end up dead here. He was like, me, Zodicus, somebody, is. this isn't going to end well. Mm-hmm. For one of us. This is a wild card. We need to yeah. we need to tamp it down at some point. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but he was coming from a lower class. He had made a lot of friends in the palace, especially the serving staff. So he goes to the cupbearers. And this is all written in Cassius Dio's account. So we can, we can call this history. Mm-hmm. He goes to the cupbearers and they say, hey, we got to do something about this. And they find a drug that would render Zodicus impotent. <laughs> And Cassius Dio writes, quote, And so Zodicus, after a whole night of embarrassment, being unable to secure an erection, was deprived of all the honors that he had received and was driven out of the palace, out of Rome, and later out of the rest of Italy. And this saved his life. This is another thing where it's like, my erectile dysfunction is also a part of history. But at least it's written down unequivocally that it was not my fault. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this was a drugging. <laughs> it works. This is, like, I swear I this never happened swear before. To God. <laughs> oh, man. What else did Elagabalus get into? Well, apparently she would also prostitute herself out around the city. The empress? Even in the palace, she would go into brothels and kick out the sex workers there and take over herself. She had a special room in the palace where she would, quote, stand nude at the door of the room as the harlots do, and shaking the curtain which hung from gold rings, while in a soft and melting voice she solicited the passers-by. And of course the passers-by were all paid by the palace to oblige her yeah. and, and play the part of a John, a willing John, I mm-hmm. guess. Honestly, she would be blowing up on OnlyFans. <laughs> she would have a hell of an OnlyFans. She fans. would have a, a very wild She would make fans. sure of it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she, be like, uh, why don't you sign up for my OnlyFans? It's 10 septums a month. And if you don't, I'll cut your head off. <laughs> oh, shit. I guess here's my 10 septums. <laughs> right. Can I prepay for a year? Now, honestly, when we get into it, her gender variance and nonconformity seemed to be kind of the least of anyone's problem with her. And that's not to say they were accepting, because they weren't. And she did lose support, especially from the army, after, like, marrying Hierocles and promoting him to these positions. But um, they did take issue with that. But they also kind of went along with it, for the most part. Everyone was like, whatever, she's in charge, she's the the little empress. And, you know, I don't know, she was young, maybe they thought it was a phase or something. You know how people are. Mm-hmm. that are less accepting. They kind of went along with it, but really what really turned everyone away from her were her intense religious beliefs and her like spoiled and clearly often violent behavior. And that was what really kind of pushed the public away from her, especially. Cassius Dio says that Elagabalus and her mother, Julia Suemius, and her grandmother, Julia Mesa, would get together and hold these, quote, barbaric chants to Elagabal. And... Here's where it gets a little gross. Mm. They would slay boys and they would close inside this temple a lion, a monkey, and a snake. And then she'd toss severed human genitals inside. So that's pretty intense. Historia Augusta makes some of these more extreme claims about her. And we kind of mentioned earlier, it's generally agreed on that this is the less reliable text. Because again, people were talking shit. But even if these are exaggerated, these stories about you're about to hear are exaggerated, they're still pretty bad. Um, she would invite eight men to dinner. Specifically, they would have some unique qualifying feature, like she would invite eight bald men or eight deaf men or eight one-eyed men or eight men with gout or something like that. And she would find some way to mock them for that feature. (laughs) You're such a loser. And sometimes she would deliberately invite eight fat men to dinner and laugh at them for not being able to fit on the one small couch that she had for them to share. Sounds like she was a bad host. Yeah, that's what I would think. I'd be like, bitch, you know you invited eight of us. Two couches at least are required for eight people. What a dinner party. Also, what a body shamer, seriously. Like earlier a blemish, she got divorced. Now she's like, fat guys can't sit together. Oh, yeah. She's (laughs) making fun of people for whatever. I mean, everything and anything was entertainment to her. She was just kind of spoiled rotten in that sense. As long as it was mean. Right. She didn't have a lot of nice entertainment. Right. She created a challenge where 
people had to come to the palace and invent a new sauce for food, right? She's like, I'm sick of this. Come up with something else. Give me something good. And the winner, she would offer a very large prize, something really nice, a silk garment, uh, which was rare and a mark of honor at the time. But if the sauce didn't please her, the person who made it would only be allowed to eat that until they came up with something better. It's like the the truly the the Gordon Ramsay of of her day, right? The Gordon the the Gordon the Go- Gordius Ramses Ramses the Gordius <laughs> Ramses Pluto's kitchen Pluto's kitchen yeah Welcome to Gordius Ramses's Pluto's kitchen <laughs> Today's contestants are Barkus the Younger and Tiberius Minimus. But it looks like Barkus didn't use enough saffron in his flamingo stew. What are you? An I- idioticus sandwichicus. And you're ugly. <laughs> Damn. That is kind of cool. She did come up with a cooking challenge. Yeah, one of the yeah, original We always like that. Just if you're ever looking for anything you have in common with people in history, we love a, a cooking challenge. <laughs> <laughs> Just slightly abusive. Hmm. She wanted to know the price of any piece of food that came to the table, but she wanted it exaggerated. Like she wanted them to to say like, and here's your roast ham. It costs 600 septums. And, and, you know, when it was like 50, she just needed everyone to hear how much money she had and she was spending. Again, she's never not had so much money. One dinner, she had brought in the heads of 600 ostriches. So their brains could be served. Ugh. How, how do you find 600 ostriches? She did this thing where she held a feast that started in one person's house. And then the next course would be another person's house. And then another person's house across like the whole length of the city of Rome. It took them all day. They barely finished by the end of the day. Each course, they would take a break in between meals and go like lounge around in the baths and the pools with ladies and all this crazy shit. She purchased a very famous and beautiful prostitute for 100,000 sesterces and then kept her untouched as though she was a virgin. That's not bad. That's kind of like, oh, you're a sex worker. Here's all the fucking money you'll you'll make in, I don't know how long it takes to make 100,000 sesterces. Right. She was like, now you just have sex when you want to. Here's a shit ton of cash and you know what? Don't worry about sex anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't know. If, I guess she wasn't allowed to even if she wanted to. Maybe not. That might be rude. She said she didn't wish to have sons, quote, lest one of them should chance to be thrifty, (laughs) which is one of those times where I'm like, kind of a boss. That's hilarious. What a great reason. (laughs) I don't want a kid who doesn't know how to spend some fucking money. (laughs) I need some wild ass motherfucker like me. She would bring guests in for dinner and then get them drunk. Sure. Like you do. Mm -hmm. And then shut them up in a room to fall asleep at night. There's a nice dark room for you to fall asleep in, drunkie. See you in the morning. And then in the middle of the night, she would crack open the door and release lions, leopards, and bears into the room. Now, they were all supposedly tamed, so she was just trying to freak everybody out when they woke up, either in the morning or worse, in the middle of the night, and saw a lion or a bear in there. But it is said that a few may have died during this little prank. Probably from a damn heart attack. Yeah. Or a bear. Or a bear. I mean, how How tame tame can a... Who tamed them and how do they know? Oh, man. She... (laughs) Sometimes she would say that guests were parasites. And maybe they were. Maybe it was a bunch of sycophants and she was sick of it. Sick of... (laughs) Sick of sycophants. But to punish them, she would tie them to a water wheel. Like, you know, that... You know, a a water mill. Like a water mill, kind of. Yeah, water. She would tie them to this water wheel and plunge them into the water and then bring them back up to the surface again as the wheel rotated. So kind of like basically waterboarding. (gasps) Early waterboarding. Proto-waterboarding. She also invented an early version of the whoopee cushion. Wow. It's not really a fart machine (laughs) like we have, I guess. But guests would sit down on inflated pillows and then she would have the air let out while they were seated so that suddenly they would slide off their chair and under the table without realizing <laughs> their cushion. What a prank. Kind of know? hilarious. Well, I'd be if that's what happened to me, I'd be like, thank God. Oh, my God. I got off so easy. <laughs> I didn't get the bear in my sleep. 
my bald friend was a lot sadder at the end of the store <laughs> dinner than I am. But then uh, one time she gave an order that, quote, an amount of public grain equal to one year's tribute should be given to all the harlots, procurers, and catamites who were within the city walls and promised an equal amount to those without. So that's not bad. I mean, there was a big surplus of grain that had been built up by Severus and Trajan. And she was like, let's give this to some of the sex workers. Again, very pro-sex worker, mm-hmm. Heligobolus, at least in terms of patronizing. <laughs> or being. Or being, yeah. <laughs> she was all about it. Right. But she, yeah, she seemed to just really admire sex workers. So she wanted to take care of them. Yeah. She, you know, she was thinking about them. Again, that's good. Yeah. And then she'd have bathhouses built. She would bathe in them once. And then demolish them and is said to have done the same with houses and imperial headquarters and summer dwellings. She was creating a lot of construction jobs. Yeah, that's, that's not bad. That's what she was doing. <laughs> that's what we should just demolish the White House every four years. Well, plenty of work. Right. But but again, as Historia Augusta says, uh, they even say, quote, these and some other things which surpass credence, I believe to have been fabricated by those who wish to vilify Elagabalus in order to curry favor with Alexander. So she was a mixed bag. Yeah. Uh, that just keeps coming back to that. She does some good things. She does some horrific things. Who's Alexander? Alexander? That's a new name. And a much easier one to say. <laughs> Why don't we get back to Alexander after this commercial break? I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com, that's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now wherever you're listening. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No All right, welcome back to the show. If you're just joining us, it's a podcast. Go back and listen from the beginning. Yeah, that's kind of weird. And we're about to learn about Alexander. So Julia Mesa, our boss, our boss, grandma bitch, boss, grandma boss, bitch. 
She was seeing that Elagabalus was becoming unpopular. And like we said, she had already started to fight against some of these things and try to push Elagabalus into a more popular direction, I guess. So Amius was like, fuck all these haters, (laughs) whatever. I'm standing (laughs) by Elagabalus no matter what. Mm Mm-hmm. But uh, May says a bit of a longer thinker, I think, and she was seeing nothing but trouble coming ahead. Mm-hmm. The Praetorian Guard was particularly disgusted with Elagabalus, and as we've seen, their support is crucial. Elagabalus had actually threatened Mesa's life when she pushed back against her naming Hierocles the new Caesar, but Julia Mesa cooled her off and stayed alive, obviously. Right. And Julia Mesa had another grandson by another daughter, another Julia, named Julia Avida Mamea, and his name was Severus Alexander, and he's about 14. They love a 14-year-old. Yeah. They just love to give a 14-year-old well, a nice, in charge. nice, impressionable age. <laughs> it's a great, great time to manipulate someone. Uh-huh. Uh, so anyway, he's four years younger than Elagabalus, and somehow Julia Mesa convinced Elagabalus to adopt Alexander. Yeah, basically, Alexander shows up in Rome, and Elagabalus brought him before the Senate. And she has the Julias standing on either side of her, and she declares to the Senate that she, quote, had no need of any other child to keep her house from despondency. She said the god Elagabal had told her to adopt him. So she kind of, like, made it her decision. You know, like, (laughs) instead of, I wasn't told to do this. My grandma didn't tell me. God told me. I think that she herself was kind of, like, getting a little overwhelmed and might not have minded sort of splitting the rule a little bit. Well, plus she's in love with Hierocles, and she knows they're not going to have children together. So maybe she was like, yeah, okay, I should adopt. I know I need some yeah. succession kind of happening. And yeah. I, I, I don't know if she's fucking the Vestal Virgin still or not, but, you know. Now, the Senate praised her for this. They were like, yes, yes, no, adopt Alexander. We think that's a great idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they are clearly already thinking this is uh, might lead to something better than the situation they're in. And in Castius Dio, Elagabalus said, quote, Yes, you love me, and so by Jupiter does the populace, and also the legions abroad. But I do not please the Praetorians, to whom I keep giving so much. And it's true, she could not keep those Praetorians happy. I don't know that she was popular amongst the populace. Well, that... <laughs> that might have been a bit of an exaggeration. You know, I think that she had a different idea of what was going on than anybody else at any given time. Well, that's an emperor's life right there. Yeah. You live in a tunnel for sure. Yeah. So everyone's on board. Alexander was appointed as her heir, and he's given the title of Caesar. Together, they were named Consul Designatus for the following year, 222. And Alexander and Elagabalus got along great for a while. And if she had continued to love Alexander, she may have survived and you would know anything about her. But unfortunately, as we've also seen, she was prone to suspicion. And she learned that men's favor was turning to the young boy, especially the Praetorian Guard. So Elagabalus started scheming, not for nothing. She's She's got that Julia blood. She's she's a Julia (laughs) in there somewhere. Yeah. And Dio says that when someone said how fortunate she was to be in consul together with her son, she replied, quote, I shall be more fortunate next year, for then I'm going to be in consul with a real son. Damn. Which is like real wishful thinking unless you know somebody's pregnant already. Uh, right. I, know, like, <laughs> I mean, you know, it takes almost a year to have one, right? Well, and then what? You're going to be in consul with a baby? Whatever. At any rate, <laughs> she was losing all any excitement about Alexander being around. She even went to the Senate and tried to get them to approve stripping Alexander of his shared title. And of course, the Senate was like, no, 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 we're we're good with this the way things are. So she tried to have him assassinated instead. Yep. It's a classic move. The first one failed because Alexander was heavily guarded by... Guess who? Julia Mesa! Julia was in the right place at the right time. She made sure of it. The soldiers and the Praetorians guarding Alexander flipped their shit when they stopped the assassination attempt. They knew what was going on. They were so pissed because everybody did like Alexander better, and they demanded Elagabalus come down to the soldiers' camp with Alexander. They were like, get down here. We're going to talk this out. We're going to work it out. And Elagabalus gets there, and she supplicates and just gets down on her knees and begs the soldiers. And 
they demanded that she give up all of her sex partners, basically. They were like, you've, you've got this lady, you've got that guy, you've got these people over here, those people over there. Give them over. you got to give them up. This is, we're done with this. But for Hierocles, she pleaded and pleaded to allow him to stay with her. It's written in Cassius Dio. She, quote, pointed to her own throat and cried, Grant me this one man, whatever you may have been pleased to suspect about him, or else slay me. And they allowed it. They said, okay, all right, fine. Yeah, you and Hierocles, you can go. Leave together. And uh, everything kind of cooled off for a second. Which I'll just say, that is romantic. She she had a bunch of partners they could take. Yeah. And uh, the one that she was willing to save was Hierocles. I think there's a lot of evidence here that they really did have a strong romantic relationship. Mm-hmm. The two of them. Whether it was healthy or not. Well... I'm not sure That's anything not she for did us to say. <laughs> right? Yeah, true. But but I do think there was some real affection. Yeah. But unfortunately, this cooling period did not last. Nope. Uh, she could not stand sharing power with Alexander. Obviously. And this time, she just started spreading rumors that Alexander was dying, hoping that people would be like, oh, well, he's about to die, so I guess I'll be loyal to you again yeah. or whatever. But instead, it started a riot, and the Praetorian demanded she come down to the soldiers' camp again because they're just like, girl, what are you doing? You are such a messy bitch. Yeah. But she showed up and saw that Soamius and Julia Mamea, Alexander's mom, were like at each other's throats. They're fighting. They're hyping up the guards. It's looking like a real serious situation. Mm-hmm. And she realizes that it's going to be her execution. That's yeah. what their plan is. Yeah. This is a no apologies this is, we're not talking it out this time. We're done. Yeah. Um, it does get pretty grim after this. If you're not into graphic violence, you might want to skip ahead for a minute. Yeah, just like one minute. She fled. She tried to escape by hiding in a chest, but they found her. So Amias, her mother, grabbed and clung to her, and the Praetorians executed both of them. Their heads were cut off. They were stripped naked, and both their bodies were dragged through the city. So Amias's body was cast aside in some unknown place, and Elagabalus's was weighed down and thrown into the Tiber River. She was only 18 years old. That's dark. It's so weird how back in the day it was like, not only do I want you dead, but I want to really fuck with your body afterward. It's you so know? twisted. I just but I guess if you believe it. that you're, you enter the afterlife the way you died. You know what I mean? Yeah. That it's like a way to kind of ruin your afterlife too. And there's this element of it too about, I I don't know, the the public reaction to it. I mean, this was like, okay, she's dead and that that's kind of it. But then you're, you've still got this hyped up mob. So you're giving them more to just like continue to cheer about and, and, get amped about and not just like this like oh she's dead all right everybody go home like it turns into this ritual of cruelty and vengeance uh kind of letting everybody get it all out of their systems to some degree to kind of a a, a put it coldly Mm -hmm. but that's kind of what people wanted i mean they they didn't want just she's dead we hated her so much we want to fuck up her body like right. whatever was left, we want to just destroy that that reputation and that image. Uh, we want this like really non-metaphorical uh, destruction of everything she was. Yeah, and it wasn't just her body, but also everyone she ever cared about and loved. Uh, many of her associates, they were also killed, including poor Hierocles. Um, the, her religious edicts were reversed. The stone of Elagabal was sent back to Syria. Women were again barred from the Senate. Although Julia Mesa retained her title. And there was a rarely used practice called damnatio memoriae, which erased a person's history from the public record. And they enacted that right quick. Yeah, I mean, this was this was as harsh a punishment as you can give almost i mean they they scrubbed her from the record and this is why we have so little information about her today mm-hmm. uh you know cassius dio was writing 
books about all kinds of goings on at the time. He had stories that he transcribed and there's a couple of other works too, but but in terms of official records, totally scrubbed. Take her out. And the same of Soamius. They actually had her declared a public enemy for siding with Elagabalus. Meanwhile, Julia Mesa, she knew what she was doing. She took Alexander's side. And she continued to influence his rule alongside uh, his mother, Julia Mamia. She died sometime in the following like two to five years, but she was deified. And she appears on some coins, uh, especially from like the Syrian area where she's riding on the back of a peacock. Again, not too much information about her, but a lot more than the rest of the family. And I remember old Kamazan, he actually survived this and he managed to keep his city prefect job, which was... Pretty crazy. That guy knew how to win. Yeah. He's the, the real little finger of this Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah. Now, Alexander continued to rule until 235 when he and his mother were also assassinated by disgruntled guards. So it's just history just repeating itself over and over again. Again, Roman emperor, hard pass. Not taking that job. Yeah. These guards stay mad. Like they're not never. They're always mad. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to find a reason to be pissed off. Well, they have a shit gig, so I guess I would be too. And with the, this is what's their recourse? You right, know, it's that's not it. like they can go out and vote every four years because they're pissed off. I know. That's why just... vo- voting is really y'all should really be leaning into this voting thing. <laughs> there are other ways. All right, let's uh, take a quick break, and then we'll come back and finish up the conversation about Elagabalus. From BBC Radio Four, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And we're back. It is stated over and over and over again in the modern research and analysis of Elagabalus that we can't 
really say that she was someone that would have fit well into the contemporary understanding of gender theory or feminism. She was fully a product of her time, mm-hmm. right? And it's been almost 2,000 years since she was alive, so obviously she herself didn't have the background of modern trans discourse to apply to her identity. But as you heard in the story, she also consistently asked to be referred to as a woman, as a lady, as an empress, as a wife. Her records were purged from official Roman records after her death, like we said. And Anna Burns in Spectrum South writes that, quote, Roman historians had a fundamentally different view of what history is. They viewed history as records of the state, not personal lives, and as propaganda. Right. So in theory, given how documentation would sometimes attack an individual's sexual identity as a means of destroying or harming their character. For example, there were attacks on Julius Caesar claiming that he enjoyed gay sex and that he was a submissive or they basically called Julius Caesar a bottom in an attempt to disrupt his character, the modern age, because of modern age of the current age, because ancient Rome was like, especially Western ancient Rome was hyper-masculine. So we could suggest that Elagabalus's entire gender variance could be fabricated or at least exaggerated by historians from that era. And also makingqueerhistory.com suggests that Roman xenophobia and racism at the time might also have attributed her femininity to Syrian stereotypes. I mean, again, femininity was among the highest insults to these guys because they sucked in many ways. But... Uh, and they yeah, sort like of a real Facebook group going on here. <laughs> yeah, but they did have this, yeah, this sort of um, prejudice against Eastern Romans that they were more effeminate and fancy, and it, this was something that was very negative to them. So this also could have been exaggerated as an attack. But Anna Burns points out that the three texts that do exist that discuss her, which is Cassius Dio, Historia Augusta, and the Marius Maximus biographies. All of them agree that she preferred to be referred to as a woman. So some of her atrocities may be exaggerated, but what we see from them is that she was very unliked. She was not popular, and her behavior was violent and not just shocking. Um, So we probably have an exaggerated picture of what actually happened. MakingQueerHistory.com also says, I'm just going to read this quote here. Another thing worth noting is that Elagabalus came into power when she was 14. Part of the reason why people followed her so easily was because of how highly sexualized young boys were in that time and in that culture. And though Elagabalus would later make it clear that she was a woman, society saw her as a young boy and sexualized her as such. Because of this, the amount of agency Elagabalus had when making large decisions is questionable at best. Much of her bad behavior may be better understood when you consider that she was a 14-year-old with the power that most grown adults can't handle. It's a great point. I mean, again, teenage years, oh, wild and out, living in a palace. Everyone has to do exactly what you say. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. I don't know that I'd be chopping off genitals and throwing them to snakes, but <laughs> right. but I think, yeah, you would definitely become, well, and who knows what was like normalized for her too in that palace. Like, did she come up with the idea to kill a bunch of people after she came to power? Or did somebody say, this is what you do? Yeah. You can't you can't trust them. You can't trust them. Right. You have to get them. You have to get them. You know what I mean? You know, I feel like there's got to be somebody in this story and we just don't know who they are. Who yeah. who kind of was like, yeah, let me encourage this excess to it to a, to a degree. Speculation station. Yes. Who was whispering in Allegopolis's ear? Because I got a theory. What if it was Cassius Dio? <gasps> he was a senator at the time. What if he's like, I'm going to make myself the best story anyone's ever written hey kid get over here i got some ideas for you Mm, hey that guy looked at you funny don't you think this bassus guy probably didn't like what you were doing don't you think these coins might be uh might be the beginnings of a rebellion yeah i know it's just some jewelry the guy made for his girlfriend but looks like a rebellion to me Mm -hmm. i don't know I mean, I'm not saying anything. It's just that I heard that they were saying that you did. It's probably nothing. It's probably nothing. Just forget I said anything. Have a great day. I mean, in all honesty, we do know who was whispering in her ear, and it was Julia Mesa. Right, right. Who was, again, pulling all the strings and always managed to come out on top, that Julia Mesa. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess she's kind of the little finger. Yeah, (laughs) she did have the the weather vane. She knew which way that wind was blowing at any Mm -hmm. given time. 
So there's this frequently quoted article by a guy named John Idale from the Good Men Project, and I wanted to read that now. Almost all the modern discourse quotes this somewhere in their, uh, in their writings. One could perhaps single out as admirable her determination to be as open as possible about her sexuality and about her own perceptions of her gender. But what of her equal determination to enforce her own religion, or her habit of having her critics murdered, or her attempts to dispose of the young Alexander? Personally, I just like knowing that there were people like Alagabalus around. I like stumbling across them in corners of history where they were not expected, regardless of whether or not a case can be made for them having lived inspirational lives. Elagabalus's trajectory as emperor was determined less by her gender and sexuality than by the fact that she was a spoiled teenager who had suddenly found herself to be in possession of absolute power. Like Caligula, Nero, and Commodus, she paid the inevitable price for being no good at a job that she clearly should never have been given. In this respect, at least, there was a certain tragic normality to her reign, and any history that finds a more prominent place for the empress should perhaps also find a place for that fact. I mean, it can't be said any more clearly than that. I think that, it, you know, this was someone who just was in a position that she shouldn't have been in. I mean, from from before she was empress, I think, she was already a really powerful teenager with all the money in the world, with, I think, not a lot of perspective on what Rome as a whole was like because she came from such a wealthy religious place. And I don't know, how much can you expect from someone like that, but in that position of power. It's very true. You have to keep it in mind. I know it wasn't quite the same, you know, 14 at that time. Right. Practically middle age, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the uh, well, lifespans were, but. Yeah. I mean, they lived into their it. 60s and 70s. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, but but still, you kind of were closer to what we think of as an adult today, younger than we would today. You know, I mean, you were definitely you were working. It was not uncommon, I think, to have younger marriages, marriages. Arranged. Yeah. I mean, they were already like, you should be a high priest. They were like, Alexander's 14, time for him to take over. Yeah. It's, you know, it just seems like an age that people were kind of cool with. Like 18, you can smoke, you know, whatever. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, kind of um, just a different perspective on that age, I guess, just to say. But still a human being, still likely going through puberty at yeah. this time, um, yeah. at these ages and having growing up rich already but then being thrust into this incredibly powerful position where she literally could spend money however she wanted, treat people however she wanted. You know, I mean, obviously there's consequences, as right. we've seen, right. but they take a while, you yeah. know what I mean? And you, yeah. if you're trying, if you're established, it becomes very difficult to root you out and build a rebellion around you. Another reason why I'm like, maybe somebody's like talking in her ear because they're yeah. like, if you're really brutal, people won't, you know what I mean? They'll, they'll be too afraid to step to you or whatever and so she's like yeah let's go extra hard on on, on all these dudes you know well, I, don't, I mean yeah again i'm totally speculating there but well that's all we're doing now going back to the religious element too here's someone who basically believed that she was imbued with the power of a god Right. So when I think you've got that kind of foundation of your beliefs, I think maybe that's why so many Roman emperors, you know, took the job and got killed because they didn't believe that could possibly happen, even if it happened a hundred times before, but not me. Mm. I'm chosen. I'm special. I'm the main character. I'm the main character. Yeah. And and what a character, you know, literally. In she charge really of, was the main character. I mean, though. She was, I mean not everybody is, but she true. was. But man, what does that do for your mindset and, you know, your belief about your consequences? Again, I mean, like you said, they take a while to come around. And why would you think they were ever going to come around? Right. You know, if they're not immediate. And she probably didn't grow up with a lot of consequences for many of her actions. No. And I mean, grow up. Again, we're talking about until she was 14. I mean, she died at 18. So how much opportunity did she have to grow? You can't separate the fact that she did terrible things and hurt a lot of people, killed a lot of people. But, you know, she, she's it's that's bad. <laughs> OK, for us, this is the first time I've ever heard of her. Same. And I think this is fucking fascinating. Mm -hmm. Now, I found out about her and learned about her through a lot of, you know, contemporary LGBT blogs, some trans discourse, some just about queerness. And they sort of point to her as a famous trans historical figure. 
So in my, you know, in our cis as education, uh, public school <laughs> in the suburbs, <laughs> obviously, uh, she never came up. And again, there's not that much information about there. And there's so many Roman emperors, you know, you can't learn about them all. But I think it's cool that she's there. And I think she's really worth learning about. Yeah. In fact, from Making Queer History, they say, quote, though she was undoubtedly worth remembering, she may also be one of the people in the queer community's history that isn't deserving of any reverence. She was queer and she was also a very violent and justifiably hated person. But her bad behavior was not because of her queerness. It is far more likely that her age played the biggest part in her terrible decisions. Uh, I would also say um, the money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The money I and mean, the and the you heavy religion. You grow up with a lot of money. You get into a lot of money. You have so much to spend that nobody can say nothing to you. I think. Yep. I think it it makes you make bad decisions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at that level, sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She clearly had a lot going on. Yeah, Elagabalus, not not a hero by any means. No. But, but definitely uh, one of these complicated people of history. Totally worth looking at. Definitely worth knowing about. People were people all throughout history, and they, they told jokes, and they pranked, and they acted like dicks, and they looked for dick. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, that's what's fun to me about looking into history is finding these characters and these, like, they seem kind of modern in a lot of their, their sensibilities and what they wanted and right. stuff like that. And it just reminds you that they were still human, even though their culture is so different and their time period was different and they had different learning and different knowledge than I have. Yeah. They were a lot like me. They yeah. were a lot like you. You know what I yeah. mean? They were just wilding out, bouncing around, reacting to things. Right. But what a story. I, I'm really glad to have learned about her, like we've been saying, and we could just keep re-saying it over and over again. But she was cool, she was complicated, and she was horrible all together mm -hmm. at once. So, you know, let us know your thoughts, because this is definitely a, a thought-provoking person. There are so many stories in ancient Rome. I mean, ancient Rome was around for 38 million years. <laughs> So I love I've uh, God, it's so late to get into this, but I do love the sort of time crunch. I think we've talked about it a little bit before about, you know, when things happened in historical eras that were hundreds of years apart. But we condensed them, I think, back in our mind. I mean, I feel like not literally, but there was a part of me that thought, oh, ancient Rome was from you know, 10,000 BC to, <laughs> to 1500 AD and Julius Caesar was emperor for most of it. Wow. <laughs> That's like, obviously doesn't was make any sense. vampire? <laughs> but, but you have that sort of condensing of history, I think, that happens in your brain where you think these eras all stacked on top of each other and everybody knew each other, but they didn't, I mean. I think we have that with ancient history more than modern history. Yeah. Because, like, modern history is that meme where it's Barbara Walters, Anne Frank, and Martin Luther King were all born in the same right. year. But we think of them as, like, totally different eras of right. time. You know, right. like, 50 years ago. Ugh, so long ago. But it's, yeah. like, 210 AD. Uh-huh. Well, whatever. It's all the same as the cavemen <laughs> and the dinosaurs or whatever. Look, reach out. Talk to us. Tell us what you think about the show, about Elagabalus, about other stories you might want us to tell. We want to hear them. I mean, we've got a list that's going to take us well past the new year. But uh, but we'd love to hear what you guys think, too, because sometimes we find one that's just like, yes. I mean, I didn't find this story until last week, and we had to... We had to jump in with it right away because it's oh, yeah. so wild. Mm -hmm. But yeah, we are romance at iheartmedia.com. That's right. And you can reach out to us on social medias. We're on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at, oh great, it's Eli. I'm at Diana Might Boom. And we also have at Redick Romance on Instagram and Twitter too. So you right. can follow that or message us there. And uh, we can't wait for the next one. We'll see you with the next episode. So long, friends, it's time to go. Thanks for listening to our show. Tell your friends, neighbors, uncles, and dance to listen to our show, Ridiculous Romance. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. 
Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action, and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network. Work. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah, and some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.